You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Today's teaching text comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your word. James, in uh, the one verse preceding this, calls it the word of truth. So thank you that you have explicitly given us a picture of what your character is like through the writing of Scripture. I pray that we treasure it daily. Thank you that not only that, but you continue to speak to your people today. We pray that we hear your voice, we hear how much you love us, care for us. We walk in the room completely different ways. A hundred or so people walk in a hundred different ways. Father, I know that you have the knowledge of how your truth can soothe each one of our souls. So I would pray that this morning, it's not my words, but your word may be a comfort to our people to myself. And as I proclaim your word, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. When C.S. Lewis's book, Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, one part of the story is about a, a little boy named Eustace Scrub. Eustace is the cousin to many of the characters that you meet. In the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the first book that he wrote there. And uh, Eustace stumbled upon a dragon's cave in the story. And he became quite greedy and selfish because what he found there was gold and jewels. And he received a curse by trying to take this for his own possession of becoming a dragon himself. And after spending some time as a dragon and feeling quite a bit lonely because he could no longer communicate with his family, Eustace encounters Aslan the Lion. Aslan told him to take off the dragon scales. Hear um, how Eustace talks about this experience. He says, The lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on. When I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, thought I. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper. And instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully, like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was the most lovely feeling. So I thought this story from... The Voyage of the Dawn Treader was an excellent picture to me of what it looks like to participate in a DNA. 
Eustace, he got him in this circumstance. He got in this situation due to his greed, his selfishness, his transgressions. As a result, he felt incredibly guilty and lonely. And in order to find healing and forgiveness, he had to literally dig beneath the dragon skin that now covered his body. Eustace had to obey the lion in order to find freedom. And then Aslan later had him swim in this pond that would heal his physical body. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how every church and actually all of the world is full of wounded sinners. We have all sinned and been sinned against. We have transgressions and we have trauma. And whether your trauma is like this big T trauma or a little T trauma that you want to minimize, we discover that as we dig deep beneath the surface within our emotions, we find that even the little traumas are affecting who it is we're becoming. And we have to realize that so much of the shaping of who we are began when we were children. You see, when I was going into seventh grade, my mom convinced me and my older sister to go to a church camp that she went to when she was a a kid. Now, no one else in my church went to this camp. No other children went. No other adults went. My mom didn't even stay. She dropped us off at a camp and said, see you later. I'll pick you up in five days. Don't think I'll see that happening very often anymore. Nonetheless, though we were alone and a bit afraid, we had a blast. So much fun at this camp that by the next summer we had told people about it and we'd gotten several other families from our church to go. And I can vividly remember the day we were going to caravan to camp. I got out of my mom's minivan. We had pulled up to the church. I jumped out of the minivan. I had my duffel bag. I had my pillow. And I jumped out and I was pumped, man. I was excited. I was ready to go. Problem was, I'm in like eighth grade, going into eighth grade now. And there's some like ninth graders, 10th graders, 11th and 12th graders who have never been. And they are not sharing my enthusiasm. And I don't remember them saying anything explicit to me. They might have. I don't remember it. But what I remember is by the way they responded to my excitement to coming into this relationship with them, being excited, I felt shut down so hard. I felt so much shame for being excited about something. I couldn't articulate it this way, but essentially in that moment I learned that to show excitement is to share a vulnerability that people around you might not accept. They might reject you because of it. I learned that people can't be trusted with my vulnerability. They might reject you and make you feel bad. And that instantly changed me. No matter that those same teenagers ended up having a blast themselves, and the next summer were that excited as I was, and we ended up having like one of the largest youth groups at camp year in and year out, I learned a lesson not to walk into a space with excitement. I fear not being accepted by people that I don't already intimately know. And so a while back, Jared had asked me one time why I tended to be a little closed off in certain situations. Why there are times where I was not as hospitable to people. I had to dig into my own history because this memory wasn't just like always at the forefront every time I see people. I had to dig in and find out what it was that was causing me to have a separation between me and you, and I was able to remember that this event from 25 years ago is still affecting this man you see here today. And so in talking with Jared and now others like in my DNA about that, I've been able to see the love of God covering me, lowering my fear of man. 
You see, sometimes what we're digging into isn't always just the sinful stuff that you're ashamed about or whatever, but sometimes it's hurts that you never realized didn't actually heal. Now, I still have a fear of rejection, that I'm not wanted in some social circles, but in my best moments, I can vulnerably engage with you, applying the knowledge that God's love for me is immeasurable, so what does the approval of man even count for? But for what it's worth, I still fail at this all the time. And you may have experienced that from me at times. And so if you have, A, I want to say, I'm sorry. It's not me. It's not you. It's me. And I want, to, I want you to see that growth does not always happen instantaneously. It takes place over time. I'm slowly healing. I'm slowly realizing that whatever story I'm telling myself in my head may not actually be true. See, we're all longing for healing and forgiveness for our trauma and our transgressions but instead even from the smallest of ages we're taught that the best thing you should do is hide hide it all hide your trauma because you just need to suck it up hide your transgressions because you cannot share that shame with another person and still feel loved intrinsically we all know that for the most part we do not live in what could be called a safe space for wounded sinners and unfortunately Few of us have ever found a church family where you can admit to being a wounded sinner either. In talking about these topics with our missional community a couple weeks ago, we had some even confess that like, hey, we have a pretty good confessional community. Like we can share things with each other that are big and hard. But if I'm being honest, sometimes I stop at a little T transgression. Something I feel like is socially acceptable. Like it's revealing enough that you know I'm being authentic. I just don't know if I can trust you with the big T transgressions. I don't know if this space is safe enough for the really big stuff. Can I share that and you still love me? And we want to change that. We need to be a safe space for the wounded. A safe space where you can share a major hurt in your life and be met with a nurturing care, not prescription of how to feel better in the moment. Because otherwise, many of us will simply just choose to self-medicate. We need a safe space for the sinner where you can confess that you've been looking to something else to satisfy you, that God alone can satisfy you. And hear brothers and sisters say that, hey man, in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven. To be able to confess a temptation before that temptation has been turned into a transgression. Because it's in that opportunity where you can say, hey man, I haven't done it yet, but I do feel this like desire to do this thing. That's where you'll find freedom, is even confessing your temptations. Because without that safe, intimate space, you may never transform into the person that you long to be, into the person that God created you to be. Because to be honest, to become like Jesus, you need more than a mediocre 30-minute sermon in this room once a week. We've been saying it for a long time that information does not equal transformation. So today I hope that you can agree that it's information applied in the messy parts of your life within the context of a community that leads to transformation. You need a healthy, safe, confessional community where you can share your hurts and sins. And that space has been our focus for the last couple weeks. And together, we realize that when we dig beneath, we discover what's beneath the surface. We see who we authentically are, who we really are, not our false self that we project to others and even believe ourselves. And together we nurture one another. We really care for one another. And today our focus is on how we can take steps 
to see real change happen. How you can apply the Word of God in your life and live in obedience to what He calls us to. So, as we look at the letter of James, we see that if you believe you can simply hear the Word of the Lord and not allow that to affect your life, you are deceived. So as a warning to us all, I want you to take to heart what James lays out for us here in chapter 1. I want us to see two simple instructions from James here. He exhorts you to first accept the word and then apply the word. In verse 18, James calls this word the word of truth, which causes me to pause and consider before we ever talk about accepting the word, what is our authority that's over us today? We live in this age where people are driven by their own truth. They don't accept the truth outside them. They don't accept objective truth, but prefer a selective truth where you can take from a menu of options and develop your own authority, your own philosophy for life. And if we're honest, we say the world does that, but don't we do that ourselves? Even with like this seemingly godly looking thing, we say, well, God said this, but I'm not really going to do anything about that. We're creating our own authority within ourselves. And there lies the problem because many of us think that we're our own authority, but we are actually deceived. We say, I'll do whatever I want. And what I want is fill in the blank. And then whatever that is has willingly become an authority over us. And it will rule us by its insatiable desire for it. If your self-governing authority is that you desire more money, that more money is going to satisfy you and make you happy finally, you're going to become a slave to the pursuit of wealth. And each time you think you've finally reached the mountaintop and that is enough, you realize it was but a mirage. And you must keep on going, thirsty for lasting satisfaction. And wealth has become a slave master that you voluntarily gave your allegiance to. You might say, but I am, man. If I'm going to be a slave to something, why not something that's fun? Because that's a counterfeit joy. That even if you're lucky enough to obtain it, it will betray you when you find that it is not sufficient to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Not to mention that your obsessive pursuit of that thing that is not God will damage others in your pathway. You could take it from countless other people before you who have found that the pursuit of wealth, fame, sex, their children, marriage, success is utterly disappointing. I began 2023 by reading Matthew Perry's memoir about his lifelong struggle with addiction. First it was alcohol and then it was pills. Now you may know that you know, he played Chandler Bing in the show Friends and just a couple weeks ago he passed away from a heart attack. In this book where he's talking about his addiction and his dream that finally getting that role would make him happy. Finally getting that show, finally getting that movie, finally getting that girl, finally getting the money, finally getting whatever would make him happy. He writes this, he says, I think you actually have to have all your dreams come true to realize they were the wrong dreams in the first place. So what other option do you have? If you can't be your own authority, if you can't pick and choose what you want, what other option do you have? James tells us to accept the word of truth. Accepting the word of truth is accepting that true power and authority, true love and satisfaction is found through God alone, through Christ alone. James tells us in verse 21 that to humbly accept the word of truth 
planted in you. Let that word change you. Which is similar to Jeremiah 31 where God says he's going to write the new covenant on the hearts of his people. And later, James calls this this perfect law. And what's he talking about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because God first loved you when you were his enemy. This word of truth has some bad news for sure. Although you and I were created in the image of God for the purpose of a relationship with God, we're born with this plague that we live for ourselves in our glory. If, it, if we were left in that mess, it would be nothing but bad news. But the good news of this word of truth is that although you are more sinful than you dare to imagine, certainly more sinful than you would ever reveal to those around you, you're more loved than you could fathom by the God who knows everything about you. We might believe that in our own truth we have freedom, but we've exchanged the truth for a lie. The common analogy is like a fish who desires to walk on the land. The fish would desire it, they want to live in their own truth. I can walk on the land, but rather than freedom, that, that fish would find death. And so the first call is to accept the word. You will not change until you're willing to come under the authority of Christ. And his authority is based in love, not domination. It's based on your flourishing, not your restriction. James says that you have to get rid of this know-it-all, proud, arrogant spirit within you and humbly accept the word that's planted in you. I want us to see that part of accepting this word is reading the written word of God. And another part is listening to the God, the voice of God in your life today. So for some of us, reading God's word is easy. It feels natural. Like you just do that like nobody's business. You're, you're super good at that. There's other of us in here that maybe you're a new believer. And you're like, I'm still getting used to this. Like I don't understand all this stuff, and that's fine. We'll get there too. I fear that there's many of us, many, if not maybe most of us, who though you've been a Christian for years, for decades, you still don't understand it, and therefore you ignore it. My dad is 58 years old, and he's been in church on and off his entire life. But just a few weeks ago, for the first time in his life, he told me, with a lot of humility, I don't really know how to study the Bible. I mean, this is the man who like raised me to like love God and love Jesus. And I'm like, hey man, you need to read your Bible. He does not know how to read the Bible. He spent so much of his life in environments where it's felt like it's too late to ever admit this reality. And so he allowed that shame to drive his fear and prevented him from really getting close to God and others in many ways. And here's the thing, in confessing that weakness to me, his fear would tell him I'd be ashamed of him and it would drive us apart or something like that. But that confession, that humility brought us closer together than we've been in, gosh dang, probably 18, 20 years. So if you're in the same position as my dad, I want to encourage you to overcome the shame by humbly admitting that you want help too. You see, James moves on to this illustration about mirrors. And he's going to primarily use this illustration about obeying the, uh, obeying the Word of God. But years ago, Jeff Schulte uh, shared this with Jared, and I thought it was a beautiful comparison about mirrors. He says, when you're feeling a lot of unhealthy shame, 
when you think thoughts about yourself that are worse than what a bully would even say about you, you have to realize that those are mirrors you're holding up. You were born feeling loved, but somewhere along the line, you picked up these mirrors that lie to you about who you are. None of us have the ability to see ourselves accurately. The mirror you hold up for yourself will never be accurate. You need accurate mirrors. You need God's Word. You need it read. You, you need it read. You need it spoke uh, through others to you. And the only cure for toxic shame is truth. And then you take the Word of truth and combat your shame by saying out loud what you've been thinking about yourself so that the truth of God's love can be spoken in your life. You have a mirror. You're believing some story about yourself and others. But until you get into this word, which James calls like a mirror, you're believing a lie, not the truth. It's a humble, vulnerable thing to say, I don't know it all. To say that the solution to all my problems is not within me, but outside me. And how beautiful that James shows us that it's not simply this book that you have to refer to either. He says that if you're a Christian, the Word of God is planted in you. It can save you. It can transform you. But let me ask a question because if the Word of truth is implanted in us, why do I struggle to hear Him? What's the problem? There can be many reasons. One reason could be you're simply not a disciple. Jesus tells us that my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. So if you cannot recognize the voice of God, is it possible you're actually not a Christian yet? A second reason, another possibility I see is in verse 19. James essentially tells us that we are slow to listen. We're quick to speak. Now, many actually see that James is applying this into interpersonal relationships. Like we won't shut up and we won't listen to other people. Like we're constantly talking. But let's be honest. If I can't listen to you, a physical person in my presence, do you think I also struggle to listen to an invisible God? Do you think I also struggle with all I do is talk at God? I'm slow to listen and I'm quick to speak. We don't accept the word of truth because we are often not listening. We don't experience the word implanted in us because we're too busy telling God what we want Him to do. There's an old rabbi proverb that says, the reason why you have two ears and one mouth is so that you will listen twice as much as you speak. The problem is that our modern prayers, if they're anything at all, are a list of situations that you want God to attend to. And if you spend any time listening at all, you might say, okay, God, please speak to me now. You have 15 seconds before I'm bored. Amen. James says, slow down. Listen up. Because the word of truth is implanted in you. And it can transform you if you let it. The more you get in this word, the more you'll be able to recognize God's voice in your life today. Just because he's completed writing the canon of Scripture does not mean he's completed talking to his creation. At times, God is very explicit and clear about what he wants for you in in your life in this word. However, how that's played out in your life practically is rarely explicit. Take this job or that job, move here or there, say this or that. So we pray to God for wisdom, we pray to God for answers, but how do we know He's speaking to us? Well, in a decision-making process, I would greatly encourage you to go back on our Facebook Live and find Jared's uh, opening 
from his sermon on Discover, where before he even got into the sermon, he talked about how to help make a decision as a Christian. He went through these amazing steps about that. I'm not going to rehash it because you can go back and listen to it. Maybe we'll make that its own video and post that later. Just thought of that. But when it's less about making a decision, it's more just about talking to God, like listening to God. Just like, what do you want to say to me at all? Anything. How do we know if we're hearing God or not? Well, earlier this week, uh, on our Tuesday men's group, where we're going through the book Unwanted, uh, Jared uh, had us all, we're all in a circle, and he had us think about silently uh, the earliest shame, moment of shame that you could remember in your life. You know, you have early memories, but you have early memories of different things, right? What was the earliest moment of deep shame you felt in your life? So we thought about that. He said, now think about what God might want to say to you in that moment. What would he say? And so we thought about that, and we listened to what God might want to say to us, and then Jared asked if anybody wanted to share. And so I shared a shameful experience from second grade, where I tried to hold in an urge to go to the bathroom as long as possible in class. Until it was too late, and I went to my teacher's desk, I asked her to go to the bathroom. She asked me, is this an emergency? And I was like, yeah, it's an emergency, because I just peed my pants. In front of the entire class, I felt so much shame and loneliness in that moment. And I told the first service, like, if I'm honest, the second grade Chris feels that every uh, Sunday I get up here to preach, I'm so afraid. I'm like, ah, did I use the bathroom recently enough? Because if I pee in front of all these people, they're never going to let me up here again. <laughs> As I reflected on what God might be saying to me in that moment, I said something to the group like, okay, I don't know, maybe it was the voice of the Spirit, but... Something like, you're never alone, I'm with you, and I'm not ashamed of you. I don't know. And Jared asked the group, what do you guys think? Does that sound like the voice of God? And of course, everyone agreed. My own skepticism about God wanting to talk to me, the same skepticism I have that you would ever want to talk to me, that bleeds into my relationship with him so much that I doubt that he would ever want to. I doubt that I ever actually hear him. So God uses the wisdom of the people around us, the voices of people there who know us well, who know the voice of God as well. And he uses those people in our lives to help interpret and confirm that what we feel like maybe God said to us, I don't know, really is God speaking to us. And I felt that even more memorably when someone in the group referred to Billy Madison and said, maybe God was saying, you ain't cool unless you pee your pants. That sealed the memory for me. So if you're like me, and you can tend to be a bit more skeptical, like, I don't know, man. I don't really know if God is speaking to me. And I feel like that's probably most of us. I've heard this said by others, that there's this ABC filter that you can walk through to see if anything that might be hearing from God really is hearing from God. So A, is it affirming? Does this message that you feel like you heard align with the character and nature of God through Scripture? Does it bring peace and hope and encouragement to you? B, is it biblical? Does the message align with the teachings of Scripture? Does it reflect the principles and values that are found in God's Word? C, is it Christ-like? Does the message reflect the heart and example of Jesus to you? Does it promote love and compassion and selflessness? By applying this ABC filter, we can discern whether a thought that comes to our mind is in line with God's truth and purposes. Because here's the thing. 
This whole sermon's about apply. We haven't even got to that really yet on obeying and applying. I promise it's not super long. Because we're spending a lot of time here because before you can apply, before you can obey, you have to even know what you're listening to. And how can you know what to apply if you're not listening? And I fear that so many of us jump into do more, do more, do more. We live under this tyranny of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. That before we ever listen to God, we have this knee-jerk reaction that's add more religious rules, pull yourself up by your bootstraps some more, shame yourself for not being perfect. And so we have to do this together because honestly alone, we're more likely to think that God's voice is accusatory, bullying, and condemning. But Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. And through Paul, he says that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why is our knee-jerk reaction to think that God is accusatory, bullying, and condemning to us? Well, this morning as I was in my office before uh, preaching, I thought, you know what, instead of like practicing, remembering everything I want to say, and getting that all nice and pretty and impressive to you guys, maybe I should do what I'm talking about and just like sit and listen to God and pray. So I sat in my office and I essentially said like, God, I know in my head that you're here as well. But help me to sense your presence with me this morning. And I sat and I listened. A couple minutes went by, I didn't feel like I heard anything. After a few moments, kind of in a sense of failure, I said, it's okay if I don't hear from you, God. Like, Father, you've been faithful to me in the past. Like, I trust that even if I'm not hearing from you right now, you're still faithful. And almost immediately after that, I felt like I heard, not an audible voice, but just in my head I heard, you know, all those other times you heard from God, you know that was just a manipulation of that situation. Others made you feel like God was talking to you. He doesn't want to talk to you. He can't talk to you. And then right after that, I felt this gentle reminder that the deceiver has been telling the same lie from the very beginning. Do not be deceived. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, the very first words out of the serpent's mouth to Adam and Eve are, did God really say? Man, that's the deceiver's voice in my head every time I want to try to hear from God. Like, God really say that? Does he really want to talk to you? Is he really able to speak to you? And trust me, he speaks. He does not have a one-way radio where he simply hears what you say, but is incapable of speaking to you. So we must be quick to listen. James encourages you to accept this word of truth and trust this word of truth is implanted in every believer. So that you can hear God today. Not some believers. Not special believers. Not the high and mighty believers. Every believer, the word of God is implanted in you. You can hear God today. And the only way you can know you've truly accepted the word of God is if you apply it. If you obey it. So look with me at verse 22. James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Uh, When I was a child, 
I remember going to one of my grandmother's houses. Um, she lived in like an apartment complex. There's a big swimming pool there. And a bunch of my cousins were all there, and we wanted to go swimming together, right? Now, on my dad's side of the family, everyone seems to know how to tan. And they do it without effort, of course. I have the skin complexion of my mother's side of the family. I look like Casper the ghost. I am very white and pale and full of freckles all over the place. I am not this, but I desire to be this. My grandmother gave me sunblock and told me to put it on before I went outside, but I didn't want to. I wanted to tan like my cousins. I wanted to not be white like a ghost. So I swam and I swam and I swam. And I burned and I burned and I burned. And in the first service, by the way, I don't know if it was an accident or a joke, but when I said I burned and I burned and I burned, these lights accidentally went off as if someone was like, oh, he might burn under these lights. Like, let's, let's bring it down. He's real white. Um, it's not true. I'm okay. I got a sunburn, as you can imagine. I got a sunburn so bad, I feel like I had more blisters on my shoulders than I had freckles. I couldn't wear a shirt for two or three days. I could not lay down in my bed and sleep because it hurt so much. My shoulder um, had a lot of scars, a lot of healing that needed to happen. I had everything I needed to protect my body, but I failed to apply it. That sunblock was not restrictive to me. It would not have slowed me down from swimming. It was protective. But in my pride and my jealousy of my cousins, I left it unapplied. Like Eustace peeling off layers of dragon skin, I would later spend a lot of time peeling off human skin. Sorry. James exhorts us to do what the Word says. Don't just listen. And later in his letter he says, you know what, you believe that there's one God? Good. The demons believe that and shudder. Believing in God is not enough. Your lack of spiritual growth may be due to disobedience to the word of truth. Your inability to hear God today might be because you haven't obeyed the last thing that he told you to do. David Platt warns us, he says, We've created a Christianity that stops at saying Jesus loves you just the way you are. And Jesus loves you no matter what you do. And certainly there's glorious truth to this when it comes to Jesus saving us from our sins, no matter how horrible they are, and Jesus loving us when we have nothing in us to deserve such love. But at the same time, Jesus says things like, you're my friends if you do what I command you. And if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, the one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. James's focus on obedience to the word of truth, his insistence that true faith is demonstrated through good works, causes a lot of Christians to feel like it contradicts the rest of the New Testament. I mean, I'm saved by faith alone, right? Through grace alone. James would say, yeah, of course. But don't you see that when that faith invades your heart, it will naturally work out to transform who you are? Jesus himself says that you will know a tree by its fruit. This is essentially what James is saying. If you're a man or woman saved by the grace of God, your fruit will be different than before. You cannot remain unchanged if the word of truth is implanted in you. Dallas Willard goes on, uh, he's often quoted as saying that grace is not opposed to effort, but just earning 
You may not earn God's love or His salvation that's given to you as a gift. But we have work to do in partnership with the Spirit to see change in our life. And so this call for obedience is not anti-gospel. You see, the more I obey, the more I become who God made me to be. The more I become who God made me to be, the more free I will actually be. Just like a fish is only free when it's in the water because it was built for the water. So you're only free to the degree that you're doing what God made you to do, which is obey Him. And you won't obey Him through your willpower. You will obey Him by humbly submitting to His grace, by seeing that you are a totally loved moral failure. And the way you obey the Word of God is humbling yourself to accept what the Word of truth says about you today. That you're more sinful than you ever dared imagine. Your sin is more ugly and deforming than you ever thought possible. That's the truth. And the truth is that you're so dearly loved more than you could imagine. That Jesus humbly took on flesh to be the person that you were meant to be, to live the life you were meant to live for God's glory and creation's good. And he died a most gruesome death for you and for me, not reluctantly, but joyfully. His desire is for you, no matter your sinful record. His desire is to see you molded into His image by obedience to this word of truth for your flourishing. And remember, we're talking about all this in the context of our missional communities and DNAs, right? That person in your group that you fear revealing something to you, your trauma, your transgression, it's just too much. Don't you know that they have a similar amount of trauma and transgression that they're just as afraid to share with you? We are literally a family here together because every one of us has sinned to such a degree it took the perfect Son of God to die on a cross to redeem us. It didn't take Jesus on the cross that much power to redeem the whole world. It took that just to redeem you. Luckily, it's enough power to redeem the whole world that would uh, come under His submission as well. But if you were the only sinner in the world, it would still take Jesus dying on a cross to save you from your sin. So don't be shocked by your sin or your trauma. Don't be shocked by somebody else's sin or their trauma. Jesus never was. So transformation comes when you keep looking in the mirror of God's true word and see these two realities about yourself. So I want to ask you, are you looking in the mirror of the word of truth or are you believing lies? One of those lies could again be this mirror that tells you you can be your own authority. Another one of those lies is the one that's bullying you constantly. But the mirror of God's word of truth is more like the father from the parable, parable, not parable, parable of the prodigal son. That father was looking for his son's return. He knew he'd come back. And he was desiring his son, who had taken half of his, his father's wealth, basically said, you're as good as dead to me, and went and squandered it on, on shameless things. His father was looking for his return. Not so he could point his finger in his face and say, I told you so. Not so he could make him a slave. Not so he could just shame him for everything he did, make him feel bad. He was looking for his return so that he could call a feast and celebrate that his son, who was dead, has now returned. That's the word of truth for God for you.
At times, applying the word of truth will be obedience to do something. At times, it will be obedience to stop doing something that is not for your good and it's not for the good of those around you. But at other times, the word of truth, applying that, is more like simply believing, man, God actually loves you. He does. Applying the love of God in your life so that you can finally step out of the shadow of shame. And so, all of this that we're talking about in this series, this safe space for wounded sinners, we're talking about within the context of these small groups of three to five men or three to five women who gather together in what we call a DNA. DNA stands for discover, nurture, and apply. So what's this look like in our time together? Well, first I want to bring your attention. We made this little uh, booklet that you can grab. Spent a lot of time on trying to make this look nice and pretty. Um, and you can also access this on crossingparagold.com forward slash DNA. Uh, but this little booklet will walk through each of these things for you, talk a little bit more about what discover means, what nurture means, what apply means. But towards the back, we have what we call the rules of engagement. So as you're in this small group of men or women, you can walk through this kind of steps together to grow closer together. So what's this look like? Well, in our time together, each person shares their feelings check-in, discovering what's beneath the surface, motivating their life like a backseat driver they didn't know that they had. And then we have a chance to confess sins and temptations together, expecting that if three to five sinners get together once a week, there's going to be some sin that's happened in the last week. There's going to be some temptations that have come up in the last week and not be shocked that one person needs to share. Actually be shocked if someone says, I'm good, because that's not a healthy group. We listen to one another. But we don't try to fix one another. We listen, and when appropriate, we ask follow-up questions and encourage one another with God's Word, not use God's Word like a weapon against our brother and sister. Then we pause for a moment. And all together, silently pray, Lord, what do you want to say to me in this moment? Do you have any wisdom or encouragement for me or someone else in my DNA? And then we wait two or three minutes in silence, listening for Scripture to come to our mind, images to come to our mind, words or impressions. Like God has certainly revealed Himself in Scripture, and that may be what comes to your mind. But Paul tells us in Romans 1 that even within creation, God is revealing Himself to us. And so if we sense that we heard something from God, we share it. You don't have to force it. Just remember, if it's affirming, biblical, and Christ-like, like what harm would it do to share that with your brothers and sisters? Just make sure it's not accusatory, bullying, or condemning. And then out of that, like, what's God calling you to do? Is He calling you to repent of something, to confess something? Is He calling you to go show God's love to somebody in this way or stop doing this because it's hurting yourself or your family or your friends? What is He calling you to do to obey today? We see later in James's letter that, you know, what might be preventing you from experiencing true healing it's confession. James 5 tells us, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Whether that's physical healing or spiritual healing, emotional healing, God wants to heal you. When we see Jesus come and He brings His kingdom here and now, what does He do? But heal people left and right. Set people free from demons and stuff like that. So maybe you just need to sit for a moment and ask God, like, Lord, what do you want me to hear from you in this moment?
You might have a lot of different things come to your mind and just keep listening because it might be the third or fourth or fifth thing that comes to your mind that's really like, oh man, that's, that, that wasn't for me. I, I, in my pride, like I can't even think that I thought of that. Like that, that's too nice to me or something like that. Like keep on listening. Give him time to respond to you. And know that we only are able to go to him in prayer. We only have access to God through prayer because Jesus perfectly obeyed. None of us will ever have ever obeyed perfectly, but Jesus obeyed perfectly even to his death so that you can live your life without being controlled by shame or fear or loneliness. So at this time, we're going to transition to communion. Whenever a band come back to the stage and our communion servers go ahead and come on up, Every single week we celebrate the sacrament of communion, which represents Jesus' perfect life for you and his death on your behalf. It says, you know, our whole world tells you every single day that you can do it on your own. <clears throat> that you have what it takes. You can muster up some courage. But we need a weekly reminder to us that you can't do it on your own. That it took Jesus' perfect life and death on your behalf to redeem you from your sins, to bring you back into relationship with God. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, we invite you to come and partake in communion. The way we do it here is uh, one of our servers will tear a piece of the bread off and tell you this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And you'll take that bread and you'll dip it in the juice and I'll tell you that this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. And if you uh, have any kind of allergies or you just prefer to take a self-serve a cup over here to my left or to your right, there's a basket with some cups over there for you as well. But, I mean, listen, if you're here and you're not a believer, I mean, we're so glad you're here, for one. Like, thankful that you came to be with us here today. I pray that you continue exploring what it would look like for you to, to trust Jesus, to see that His authority over your life is about your flourishing. But don't come and take participate in communion. This means nothing to you. It's just bread. It's like fifty at Walmart. Like, it's just bread, and you're only getting that much of it. Don't, come, don't participate in this. Just sit in your seat and pray. Ask God, like, man, like I've never experienced your presence, but if you're going to do it, like, would you do it today? If you'd like somebody to pray with you, like, A, the people who came with you would love to pray with you, I'm sure. We got in the back of the room over here to my left, to your right, uh, we have someone on the prayer team who would love to pray with you. I'll be up front. Jared's up front. Like, man, don't leave this room today without taking the opportunity to pray. And finally, one of the ways in which we worship God. We worship Him through song and serving and reading His Word and being with Him, but we also worship Him through giving back. And so uh, if you're a guest with us, we're not asking you to give. We're not here for your money. What we're saying is giving for us is not any way at all to earn God's love. He's loved us immeasurably more than we could count. We give back to God trusting that He loves us just because of his love for us. We trust that with what we give him, he can do more with what remains than we could ever do with all of the money that we have. So we give to him. And the ways you can give is to text or go online or in the back of the room, there's a give box there or you can go on our church center app. So will you stand with us? We're going to pray. When you're ready, you can come and take communion. Father, thank you for this opportunity we had, the space that we have. I pray, man, 
I ask that we would feel like this is a safe space for wounded sinners for real. And the way we're going to feel that is certain men or women stepping out in courage and sharing that really big trauma or that really big transgression with the people around them, trusting that when we say it's a safe space for wounded sinners, that it will actually be that. And they were met with love. That there's nothing that you could say to me that would make me push you away. And if I'm honest, like, I mean, I am a, a sinner myself, and there might be times I'm tempted to push people away out of fear. But Father, the good news is there is nothing that we can confess to you that will push you away from us. We can jump into your presence with excitement, not fearing what other people think about us, but knowing that we have your full love already poured out for us. So as we come and take communion, Father, we'll give you help us to experience the glory of your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.